This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 109. Personally, what the strategies that I'm recommending to you are usually only given to people that are five to ten million dollars in assets. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, Brandon? Do you have a Band-Aid? I I took some Advil, man. My head is yeah, pounding. yeah. I, I my like I got like this hole right there where like it's bleeding from all the stuff I learned today on this on this podcast. So yeah, crazy yeah. amount of stuff people are gonna learn. You'll get a band aid ready. This is a good show. Yeah, this is a, a great show. show. And it, there's so much. Like one thing I noticed, like the more I get into real estate, the less real estate books I read. Right? We've talked about that before because I've read a lot of real estate books. I still like them, but I don't learn a whole lot from real estate books. Today, I learned more than I've learned in the past. Like. 20 years combined. I feel like, like his brain is bleeding. It's bleeding. There's so much going on. So anyway, people are going to love this. It's definitely, yeah, we're talking about asset protection, but it's not boring. This this is like entertaining, funny. Well, really, you're listening really to us. I mean, you know. We yeah, yeah. We like, keep it real. But yeah, this, I mean, yeah. And this show, I t- I'll tell you what, this show is for everybody from somebody who's yep. thinking about investing in real estate all the way to somebody who's been doing it, who's got, you know, a hundred of properties. There's something to be learned. There are, I mean- there's some tips in here that blow your mind. Blow yeah. your mind. Apparently, there are tips here that your lawyers don't want you to know about. You know, <laughs> there's some really good stuff. So, yeah. uh, definitely pay attention. Um, this is show 109 of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and you can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com/slash/show109. Um, also, also we want to make sure that you guys sign up for this week's webinar at biggerpockets.com/slash. Webinar. Uh, we did one a few weeks ago on multifamily and it was huge. It was awesome. It was amazing. The feedback was phenomenal. If you have not yet checked out our webinars, we definitely recommend you do that. Again, biggerpockets.com slash webinar. Before we move on, hopefully you guys got a chance to check out the new wholesaling calculator that we launched last week. Um, if a couple you, weeks ago. Was it, oh, it was yeah. two weeks ago. Um, but uh, if not, definitely check it out. Biggerpockets.com slash calc. You could find it there. And um, I think that's all I've got on that. We've got uh, trivia, trivia, don't we? We do. So last week we interviewed Grant Cardone, and it was an incredible podcast. If you guys oh, have not yeah. listened, yeah. If you haven't listened yet, go listen to that one right after. It's the, the one, one show of all the shows that you you, you probably you, want to listen. Yeah, to. it's amazing. Anyway, so in that interview, Grant mentioned that two years ago he bought a huge apartment complex in Florida. I think it was like a thousand some units. And he said he won the bid against 38 other investors, even though he was the lowest bid, because he did two incredibly unique things. So the question today is, what were those two unique things that he did to win that bid? Uh, so if you think you know the answer, send the email uh, answer to trivia at biggerpockets.com uh, for your chance to win the digital version of the book on investing in real estate with no and low money down written by me. And uh, yeah, if you want to get a copy of that book right now without the trivia, it's on sale actually over on Amazon. So go over there and pick it up uh, or just go to biggerpockets.com slash no money. And we link to the Amazon uh, yep. sale from biggerpockets slash no money so you could find it there. Yep. Awesome. Well, I think that's pretty much all the upfront. Why don't we get on with today's show? Also, quick heads up, if you have not yet left us ratings or reviews on iTunes, you're a listener and haven't done that, please do that. It really does help us get more 
listeners to the show. Uh, so we definitely appreciate it if you do that and you can find the link on the show notes. With that, why don't we get to this? Today's guest is Scott Smith. Scott is a asset protection attorney uh, located in the Austin, Texas area. And uh, Scott's just got some amazing stuff. I just want to kind of get to it. He's got so much to say, so much to share. He's got amazing tips. Uh, So bust out your pen, get a notebook. If you're driving, pull over, park your car, get out a notebook and take notes because there's a lot to learn today. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. So let's, uh, let's get to it. All right, Scott, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Great to be here. Awesome. Well, today we're going to talk about something that maybe some people find a little bit, what's the word? Daunting. Daunting, uh, scary, whatever. I mean, this is the number one question I get from people all the time because it's just so overwhelming. I don't know what to do about it. And that is the concept of asset protection, LLCs, stuff like that. And I don't know what to tell people. I mean, like, well, they ask me all the, all yeah. the time, Hey, should I, should I do an LLC? Should I do What should yeah. I do? And I'm like, talk uh, to your lawyer. Yeah, I'm talk to not going to gonna I'm not- tackle that. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't go asking me because I'm not going to get in trouble for giving you the wrong <laughs> advice. Yeah, so. so today we're going to make uh, Scott here get in trouble because he is a lawyer. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm really excited to share with you guys today some um, the cutting edge strategies for uh, from novices all the way up to advanced strategies at some of the really high level players that are doing. But first and foremost, uh, what we always have to do as attorneys, we always have to hedge our 
a liability. Wow! <laughs> Come right? on, man. It's like the, the yada yada yada. All right, go ahead. Let's hear it. Let's hear. Obviously, it. it's like this is not legal advice. I'm not your attorney, and you should retain counsel before taking any action. And I won't become your attorney until we have a signed retainer agreement. But apart from that, I think I'm going to have some uh, really great uh, concrete strategies that everybody's going to be able to implement in one way or the other. Um, to help make sure they're protected and that every dollar that they make and work hard to make in this industry, that they're going to be able to keep it uh, from other people uh, trying to come after it. So, Hey, uh, Scott, by, by the way, yeah. like we, we, that disclaimer pretty much stands across everything that we do. You know, I mean, you know, and, and you're, an, uh, you're a lawyer, so it's, it's probably perfect advice. Like, hey, folks listening, you know, don't listen to us. Like, you know, you can listen to us. It's great, but like before you go and do stuff, talk to your lawyers, right? I mean, right. you want to make sure like, you know, we're an entertainment show. We give good practical advice, but at the end of the day, like before you actually make decisions that could have uh, ramifications, like talk to your lawyer. Not enough people, not enough real estate investors are, are willing to invest the money to talk to their lawyers. And it's so important because it could save you so many problems. I, I just want to kind of get your feedback on that. Yeah, so you're you're absolutely right, Josh. And and here's here's my thoughts on that topic. Is um, first of all, is if you think that you can give one blanket piece of advice that applies to everybody equally, um, you're crazy because everybody's business is different. Everybody's yep. situation is different, and the law is very particular to the circumstances. Right. That's why we have facts and we have the law, and that's where um, legal precedent gets created from. Um, and I think you're right that I, I find time and time again that the real estate investors that I talk to um, are trying to save money. And I know everybody wants to save money, right? Yep. But it's kind of like trying to save money by not buying fire insurance on your house. Say, so, sure, you can save or some money. flood now. insurance. Yeah, Brandon. flood insurance is another great one, right? That you can wipe out. It'll cost you, you know, ten, twenty, up to $100,000 to repair a property if you don't have it properly insured. And the same kind of thing ends up happening with what, uh, what I focus on, which is asset protection and making sure that people have their businesses structured correctly. So that way, when somebody comes with a lawsuit against them, I get to be as their attorney to go into that other attorney's office and say, good luck trying to sue me because what you're going to collect against is this piece of paper. And this piece of paper has no assets in it. So you're sue the man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The way to do it. And, and it's, not, it's not as hard as you um, would, would think it would to be. And just a couple of quick strategies can really um, uh, get you into a, a much higher uh, barrier for anybody to come after your assets. Um, so just kind of taking that insurance um, asset protection kind of um, uh, issue, they're really two sides of the same coin. Like we should really start thinking about insurance as ways that we protect the property, like we have flood and fire insurance. And we should think about asset protection the way that how do we cover our assets? How do we cover ourselves <laughs> from being able to, if somebody sues us, to keep their hands off our money? Gotcha. And, and, and that's a way that I kind of like to explain it to a lot, of our, um, a lot of my clients. So the first question I ask whenever I go into any uh, conference or I go in to speak to anybody is I ask, does anybody here own a, an, a piece of investment property in their name personally? And you'll be surprised that even with the power of the internet, and even with a great podcast and forums that Bigger Pockets offers, you still find people that are still owning property in their personal name. Because they, they have this idea that ownership of the property means that they want to be able to have it um, in their legal title. Yeah. So I saw them, I said, you, what you don't want, what rich people do is rich people don't own things. What rich people do is they control things. And that's Can what a lot of explain that, by the way? Yeah, so... Um, the difference between ownership and control is, um, is more like a legal fiction. 
And illegal fiction is in the sense that saying that, do you really care whether you own a yacht? Or do you care that I just get to go use my yacht whenever I want to? It's not, it's not even my yacht. I just get to go use it. Well, nobody, you wouldn't care whether you have ownership at that point or not, right? So let's I'll not, use your yacht. You can come on any time, Josh. Yeah, yes. it's, it's a pretty small one right now. It's more like a bass boat. A dingy, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a little it's bit. <laughs> but you can uh, still have a good time on it, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so when we when we talk to him about that, and say you know let's take the let's take the properties and let's put them into trusts, LLCs, um, and other type of business entities where you get all the benefit and all the money from your properties and the ability to control your properties, but without all the liability that comes with actually owning something. Makes sense. That makes sense. Now, like I, I for the first. Six years of my investments, like everything was in my own name. I'm in 100% of everything. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. And just two years ago or three years ago now, really when I started like full time here, bigger pockets, that's when I started putting everything to LLCs because I thought, well, I have a lot more increased you know, visibility now and I'm just a little bit worried about that. So now I've shifted everything over. Uh, so maybe I can kind of step back a minute um, before we get too deep into the LLC side of things. I know today, one thing you had sent me earlier in an email to talk about, you said there's 10 different ways to protect your assets. And that's what we're going to cover today, right? Like all those 10 things. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe we'll just start right at the beginning um, and just hit, you know, each one, one at a time, if that's what you I want. I mean, is that easy to do? Yeah. So okay. I think we've, we've kind of already started covering like the first two topics with that. It's like, how do we use our asset protection strategies and insurance? We covered what are the difference between those two things and how they're the, the same side of the coin to protect you, uh, but just in different ways. Um, but one of the key parts, uh, number two on that list, is how insurance really isn't sufficient. A lot of people think that being able to get a um, an umbrella policy. For, uh, this <laughs> dog is barking here. Let me Let's down that dog. Sorry. <laughs> We're having right. technical difficulties. We're Brent and I will sing a song for you. That's all right. Yeah, my my dog was barking in the background a minute ago. I had to mute him or mute yeah. my mic, not mute him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really Put bad down. at muting my dog. Yeah. This, no, this is well. While Scott said, I mean, you know, this this is stuff that that you know, you and I talk a fair amount about. And and like we said, guys, like there's so many of you who have these questions. I really, really urge you to bust out a pen, start taking notes on this because because there's a, a lot of great stuff. And as as a quick heads up, if you're listening and you have questions. You can ask questions on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 109. That's biggerpockets.com slash show 109. And, and Scott will be happy to assist where he can. He'll probably tell you to talk to your lawyer, but you know, uh, I'm sure he'll <laughs> I, jump in. I'll always tell you to talk to your lawyer, but I'll also give you a little hint about, you know, this yeah. is probably the kinds of things that you should be thinking about to research for your state because every state's different. Yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, now that he's back from smacking his dog around, let's, uh, let's get back to it. <laughs> It always picks the perfect time. Yep. The, um, so, so getting back to um, when we were talking about insurance and how insurance yep. really isn't sufficient. A lot of people think if I have a couple million dollars umbrella policy, that's going to be able to cover me. Um, but the, the real fact of the matter is, is that you can have a lawsuit filed against you from the very first communication that you undertook with a buyer or seller. And those lawsuits and, uh, can be based on allegations of fraud. Any type of statements that you make is a basis of a lawsuit. And what happens is the court looks at a statement and says, oh, that's an intentional act. And if it's an intentional act, the insurance company says, we're not going to cover you in the case that you intentionally did some wrongdoing. Gotcha. So don't think that insurance is actually going to get you there. What you really have to do is be able to make a set up a structure that allows um, anybody to that would look to sue you to not be able to collect against uh, your assets. But to, but to really understand 
the, the real danger that we, we walk into as investors by ho- owning uh, various properties, um, too many properties grouped into an LLC, as well as owning property in our own name, is what the real power of a judgment is. Hey, so Scott, take, bef- before you yeah. go there, I, I, I want to kind of s- circle back on, on the insurance thing. Um, so even prior to going into a contract with somebody, if I'm communicating them via my text or via the phone, uh, not by the phone, uh, by, by email, those communications are part and parcel to any evidence against me in some kind of intentional act to mislead somebody. Is sure, that correct? So- Take, for example, um, the instance that you wrote somebody an email and you, you told them that you had replaced you know, all of the, the plumbing underneath the house, right? Um, if it ever, even though it didn't state it in the contract and even though it's not in the deed, the, the mere fact that you told them that would be, uh, could be considered an element of fraud. Yeah. So, so that's the way that those kinds of things would attach. And, and the worst thing you can do is put those kinds of things in writing. Because now, does that, yeah. I, I, so the insurance, I mean, I'm trying to understand this and I, I apologize. Like my, my, my yeah. thought on this, the insurance companies want nothing more than ha- to have nothing to do with this case. Right. I mean, they won't you know, cover. Well, right. So, so it's, it's in their interest to deny coverage as much as possible because then otherwise they got to pay out of their pocket. Right. So that's, that's why know, they make money. They collect premiums and deny coverage. Right. So, yeah. so th- that's where this is, this, this comes into play. Right. I mean, you know, yes, you have insurance, but you know, don't count on that. Right. You know, realize that the second that you start communicating with people and the second they have, a, they can find a way out they're going to wiggle their way out of it and they don't have your back anymore. Is that, is that pretty much a fair assessment? Yeah, you don't really have any friends once you start getting sued. Everybody yeah. tries to run away from you as fast as possible. And especially in these types of situations because all of a sudden once you get sued, you say, well, it wasn't really my fault. It was actually somebody else that told me to do this or instructed me to do this. And so everybody else will, every attorney will say, if you know anybody that's getting sued and you're in any way involved in what they did, try to distance yourself as much as possible from that. So what I find is fascinating, I mean, the whole thing is fascinating, but what I find fascinating is there's this advice that goes around all the time I see it, that people say, you know, don't worry about an LLC. I see this a lot. Don't worry about an LLC. Just get an umbrella policy. And I've never heard anybody say it the way you did that an umbrella policy alone isn't going to cover you. So you would flat out say that that's bad advice to say, don't worry about any kind of asset protection. Just get a good umbrella policy and you'll be fine. Yeah, I, I would say that unless your umbrella policy um, is going to cover for an intentional acts of, of uh, fraud and other intentional acts that are in violation of the law, um, that your umbrella policy is not going to be sufficient. And I've, I've never reviewed a policy where any insurance company was willing to take on that kind of liability because that means that you could do anything you wanted to and yeah, do it intentionally. Yeah. You know, you could go punch the mailman in the face <laughs> because he keeps knocking on your door and say, oh, no, my insurance policy is going to cover me for that. So. Yeah. So and most, wanna, are most of these frauds, the quote, intentional frauds, uh, presumably they're unintentional, right? I mean, it's people just kind of doing their thing and trying to, trying to get by yeah, and, and, exactly, and it's like, right? they, it's, yeah. it's a fraud, being like accused of fraud doesn't actually mean you're a bad person. Uh, right. In fact, most everybody, um, in fact, all of my clients are all good people. They're all honest business people. It's usually a miscommunication. Yeah. And, but when there's money on the line and you're talking about you know, $30,000 or $40,000 in replacement costs, when one person had one idea and one person had another idea, well, then you have a lawsuit, even though you have two great, honest people that were trying to do a business transaction together. Yeah. So, 
don't think that just because you're honest and just because you're as upfront as possible that you're not subject to a lawsuit because it's just not the case. And and yeah. honestly, the, the 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 one takeaway that I always that I usually start all these presentations with is the real estate industry is the most is the hottest litigated area of law. So if you're serious about this business, it is not a question of if you're going to get sued. It's a question of when and in what condition you're going to be to defend yourself when that happens. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of anybody put it quite like that bluntly, but I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's so scary, right? It's, it's like, I'm going to get sued someday. And, and that's why we have you on here. So like, if insurance is not good enough, uh, you know, it helps, but it's not good enough. What else do we do? So um, the, there's a, what we want to do is be able to have a proper asset protection strategy. Um, and, and the reason that it's worth investing in a proper asset protection strategy is because take this hypothetical example where you have a $100,000 house uh, with an $80,000 mortgage on it um, and a plaintiff ends up suing you. Maybe it's one of your tenants. Maybe it's a contractor. Maybe it's uh, anybody that's um, suing you uh, for any work they did on the property. Well, you only have $20,000 in equity and they have a $50,000 judgment. So they get to foreclose on your house and take that house. Well, they still have $30,000 left over in their judgment, so they can go to your next house and foreclose on that house and keep doing that to all of your properties until all of the attorney's fees are satisfied and until they get all the money back out of the judgment. And the attorneys get to keep charging for every foreclosure they do. So what do you think actually ends up happening to the judgment? It goes down little bit by little bit by little bit, and they take more and more of your things. But you don't have to be that exposed if you properly structure things inside of LLCs. So there's a couple of different ways to be able to, to do that. The first, just to kind of give you like as a, here's a worst case scenario, is to hold all your property in a sole proprietorship. That's the worst because everybody knows you own the property and everybody uh, can get to it because it's, total, it's not protected. That means like you... You own it in a sole. That means you just own it with your name, right? Like, correct. Me and my correct. wife bought a property. It's in our name. That's what vast the majority, that, I'd say, of new investors exactly. do it. Okay. Exactly right because that's the easiest. There's no setup costs. There's no extra tax treatment that you end up having to do. So with the LLCs, um, what's what's what you end up having to do is you have to end up spending a little bit more time and money, right? You have to file the LLCs and you actually, you have to keep the corporate formalities, meaning you have to keep the corporate minutes. You have to issue uh, shareholder agreements. You have to have operating agreements. All of the paperwork in there has to be done and actually has to be done perfectly because any defect inside of the paperwork, there is a, uh, an allegation there that you weren't really treating it as a corporation. So then they're going to treat it as if it was your personal asset being the manager. Okay, interesting. So, so you're, you're going to want to make, you, that's why it's, it's worth it to pay the, the, we'll call it like attorney insurance, to be able to pay your attorney insurance, to have somebody else that's a professional look at it and make sure that it's, you're prepared in, in the event that you end up getting sued. Yeah. So, and, and um, there's, there's a couple, there's a quick tangent I want to take with the LLCs that for in Texas and a lot of other states, there's what's called a series LLC. And you'll see this a lot on bigger pockets. People are talking about how cool series LLCs are. And they're really cool because you get one tax filing, which makes it really easy to, to manage. Um, but you get the, the asset protection because you can separate all your properties out into what would look like different LLCs. And so each house then would be owned by a separate LLC underneath the series. So even though you only have one legal entity, the court and the legislature kind of made um, like almost like a fiction to say, well, okay, but we're really going to let people treat it 
um, as if they're separate entities. So they look. So, so if if one of the LLCs in the series LLC gets sued, it doesn't spread to the other LLCs. Correct. Right. It's, You're going to be able to isolate your assets that way. Okay. So it's like owning an ent- having an entity that owns another entity within it, like an S corp that owns an LLC. You know, they're independent entities. Of course, as long as you're not commingling, right? So you want to make sure that you know you're personally not making deposits of the company's cash into your own name and you know playing around. You you really have to make sure that you're keeping these entities separate. Which I I know in in your notes is something we're going to get to. Yeah, you have to make sure that everything is separate when you're moving money around into accounts. You really have to kind of like step back and say like as if they were these were separate companies that were owned by different people, how would things need to be treated here? Yeah. And so that should be your assumption when you're starting to work um in that type of, of structure. So so I'm yeah. new okay, I'm new to the the series thing. I don't know really anything about it other than that I've seen it mentioned. So in my business I have, you know, I think 5 or 6 seven LLCs that are all just separate because I have one for each of my partnership, like ownership structures, essentially. Right. So like the ones that I have with this partner, I have an LLC, this partner, I have an LLC. Can like, is that something you're talking about? I should have those in a series LLC. So the taxes are easier to do or. Yeah, that that would be a def, there'd be a way that you could do the taxes easier um, inside of a series LLC, but depending upon the complexity that you're doing, um, there's also the option of uh, creating what's known as a Delaware statutory trust. That it operates very similar to a series LLC in that you can create different series among, inside of a trust agreement. And so a trust is just like a, uh, it's just a filing that ends up happening in Delaware with uh, an attorney and an agent in Delaware. But it's another way that you can separate it out. And, and those are arguably um, more protective than even a, an LLC because Delaware actually created it to be in response to people moving their money offshore. So they wanted to create an entity that was arguably as strong as having an offshore bank account. So that way, all, so all the money wouldn't flow out. Well, Delaware so, is always at the forefront of uh, you know entities and structures, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Delaware likes to keep the money um, positioned in their banks and inside yeah. of their control, so they can charge their taxes on it, which I, is admirable. Yeah, it's great. That's good political business. Is if you can uh, make money off of taxes uh, for other people's money, then you get to give it to your constituents. So it's a beautiful thing. So they like yeah. to protect themselves with that. So, so they. So this is called a Delaware statutory trust. Correct. Yeah. Do or we want, DST for short? Do we want to cover that now, or do you have that later on planned to talk about? I have that uh, um, a little later on. Okay. There's only a couple of things that to, to we can jump to that and kind of backtrack a little bit. Sure, if you, you want, want to. Whatever the, is best. the things that you're going to want to know about a DST is, apart from what I've already told you, is that it's really easy to create new business entities in a DST, and they don't actually have to be recorded with the state of Delaware. You can just cre- It's almost like as if you were to create an LLC for an investment package for recruiting potential investors, but the only piece is a piece of paper that's inside of your desk. Hey, so so I'm I'm going to ask you to repeat yourself because sure. I'm sure that I'm not the only one who who's <laughs> you know like wow yeah I get like fifty percent of that yeah okay right. yeah let so me tell let me, slow me it down. tell me really yeah. quickly wh- why would I pick I think this is the question that people want to ask why would I choose a DST over an LLC or a series LLC that's I think that's the fundamental question. Yeah. So granted, this, this type of strategy is usually for like bigger players that are end up happening, right? It's Don't insult me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. a player. <laughs> Keep it real fun. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, what, ends up, what ends up happening with that is, um, one, it's, 
um, it's, the upfront costs to create it are expensive because yeah. it's got to be done right. But after that, you can create um, what would almost be like any of these investment uh, structures underneath it really quickly and easily. Like within a matter of hours, you'd be able to create a whole new legal investment package to be able to shoot to investors. And it's really tough to get at the money once it's inside a DST for many type of court action. So if you're looking at you know EB-5 money or foreign investment money and you're worried about what could happen in another country or uh, – what could happen with somebody else that looks like they're a little shaky in their legal position and what's happening in other places, a DST is a great way to kind of shelter um, what the money is because it's really difficult for people to find out that the money is there and even more difficult for them to be able to get a, a judgment inside of Delaware to enforce to be able to get out that money. So did that answer your question, Josh? Yeah, I think it did. I, it, it's still, I, I will tell you, I listened to this episode like three times. Well, yeah, I mean, a you know this this all you know makes sense, but at the same time, you know, I know I'm not alone in. Wow, I'm still going to have to go and sit down with an attorney. I mean, you know, this is a broad overview, right? That's what this is. You're not here to tell us what to do. Um, And I know that listening to this, I'm like, oh man. I I mean, I know I'm going to have to take notes on all the different you know uh, uh, structures and i'm going to bring it in and say hey which one of these are the ones for my situation are going to be best and when i say me i mean me being our listeners i'm assuming that's probably going to be what they're going to need to do um, and I, I have actually a suggestion here's my thought scott would you mind i mean i know we can we're still going to talk about all the rest of this but would you mind maybe you and i sit down and we'll outline like an a, um, a pdf like we'll go through all the stuff like outline the notes of what we just talked about today and we'll put it in the show notes so people can download it is that cool like, yeah that's I... absolutely cool and i'm okay. i'm great idea. plans to be able to do um i've done some posting on the bigger pockets blog on some 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 issues that end up coming up along these things and my plan is to keep creating those type of reference awesome. documents for people that's um, awesome so it's really easy for me when i'm in the forums that i can be like hey i just wrote a post about how you can use trust and llc structures yeah kind of that so i love that Fabulous. yeah Fabulous. so i so if people are listening and want to go to biggerpockets.com slash show 109 uh we will have uh, a pdf there you can download uh with a lot more detail on what we're talking about today just throwing that out there so perfect and me and perfect. scott will put that together this show is sponsored by airbnb did you know that a long time ago before i ever started my real estate business I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb, and that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job, and now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars with a B in taxes with 1031 tax deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that could make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 
1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and they specialize in all types of exchanges, delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash BP. That's my1031pros.com slash BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. So anyway, okay, going back to where we were just talking about the DSTs, uh, and that was based because we were talking on the series LLC thing. Yep. Uh, so, may, I mean, maybe I can just ask you because I got you on here and I like taking advantage of uh, my position. Oh, here we go. I've, <laughs> if I've got, I mean, I've got, like I said, six or seven LLCs. Should I do a DST based on what you know of me? Do, I know we, this is quick. Should I do a DST or a series LLC? Are you having lots of uh, other, are they all different types of asset classes or are they all real estate? They're all real estate. Yeah. So you're probably okay. And, and they're all uh, the same types of real estate. Like you don't have uh, really yeah. huge commercial transactions combined with single family homes and whatnot. Some are single, some are like small multis and there's a 24 unit. Right. So I'd say what you could probably be okay with is a series LLC in that case. And just go ahead and take the same types of assets and group them together. So don't keep your fix and flips with your buy and holds. And, okay. and there is, there's a really good reason. And, to do and that. why is that? There's got to be a reason. Yeah. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the reason that you end up that you separate those out is because it's tax treatment that the IRS will do. If the IRS, those, those types of investments are taxed at different rates. So if the IRS were to audit you, they actually get to choose when they see that type of income, which tax rate they want to tax you at. And I've never known the IRS to tax people at the lower rate <laughs> if they have the option. So don't give them the option. Separate things out. And if you have different kinds of companies that you're running or much uh, or really big projects where you're having uh, big fundraising that has to go with it, um, then it makes sense to go ahead and spend the, the money for the legal work to be able to establish your DST. But, I, but for whatever you're doing with that, like it's so cheap in reality to hire an attorney to be able to give you that initial advice of what you need to do as compared to what you it's going to cost you in taxes if you ever get audited or if you ever end up having a lawsuit get filed against you 
because a, a lawsuit alone is yeah. is really expensive, and that's just for attorney's fees, much less having a judgment. Well, you and so, I are talking after the show more. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that uh, Bill? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't. I, I, here, here you go, Scott. I think it is. <laughs> just saying, man. Just no. saying. All right. We're not to sabotage Brandon or anything, but no. dude, really? Okay, well, I, I do have one more question. I do have one more question then. <laughs> this is important, right? So people who already have LLC set up, can they still jump into a series LLC or do you have to That's start all over? It's a new filing. So okay. you can file you can file a new and just and move your assets over. That's not a problem. Okay, so it's not like I have to go and open up seven new LLCs within that series. No, in fact, you would just do um, maybe one or two series and then move the assets over into that. Okay. So nice. it's, it's it's all of these things are you know remedied. You're never stuck in any in any of these things that you do um, uh, as long as uh, you're proactive about it. I'm gonna take over because you know I see my co-host. <laughs> Can't really be here, trusted. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. My goodness. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to introduce an, an advanced strategy, if I could. Yeah, yeah I, please. I, I here's like another uh, point that you won't ever hear from any other attorneys because they kind of keep it inside of their secret desk drawer of things to do. Nice. Um, so so you, you think it's like really cool to be able to have an LLC that says, okay, this separates um, uh, my business from me. And so that way, if I'm ever sued, you know, it's only going to go, you know, they can't get to my business. My business is sued. They can't really get to that either. But there, there's another level of that that says, okay, well, what if they can't even find out what I own? Like, how cool is that? If they yeah. can't even find out that I own an LLC or they can't even find out that I even own a property. And there's two ways that you can end up doing that. You can do that commonly. The first way that a lot of people don't know about is what actually happens in, in the formation of the LLC. That I don't know if you guys knew this, but did you know that a trust instrument can actually be the registered manager? Like you don't actually have to have your name attached to an LLC filing. Personally, really? the trust is the name that's on the LLC filing. Trust yeah, but, can, LLC, but, and but trust you can find out who owns the trust, though, can't you? No, because a trust doesn't have to be registered with the state. Uh-huh. So there's no research that somebody can do to be able to discover it because that trust document literally is a document that I drafted that's on my computer and that uh-huh. we So there's and if, who's going to unless somebody can break into my house and get into my computer somehow they're never going to be able to find out that you actually own that property or own that company. Fascinating. But it, and, and the second way that this uh, ends up being uh, an, another advanced strategy for anonymity comes in to say when you want to be able to hold the actual property itself on the deed in the name of a trust instrument. Because again, remember, we don't, the trusts don't have to be filed. So if I have an address that's called 6210 you know, Winewood, for example, and I have on the, the trust instrument or on the deed instrument that says, who is the owner of this property? Well, it's just the 6210 Winewood Trust. Now, when it comes time to sell that property, you'll actually have to go to the title company, produce the trust document, verify that you're the trustee of that to be able to execute the sale. But anybody looking through the county clerk records or anybody that's looking through the secretary of state to be able to find what you own won't be able to find your name. Fascinating. So why, 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 I mean, it seems, that seems brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And, and my question is why have, you know, why did, why do lawyers keep that in their back pocket? I mean, it seems kind of like a, you know, obvious, we, you know, obvious thing, or is it because the more people that do it, you know, suddenly they're going to clamp down and, and not allow that to happen. Now that everybody in bigger pockets knows, <laughs> hold on, it's out there. 
You're, yeah. you're going to get hate mail from lots of lawyers. <laughs> I know. That's what I told everybody. I was going to open up the kimono and show off all our <laughs> secrets here about, uh, about what we end up doing uh, in, in the industry. Uh, it's a really good question. I, um, I, personally, what, what the, the strategies that I'm recommending to you are usually only um, given to people that are 5 to $10 million in assets. And I think and, and they're paying really big bucks to have people that are really – invested inside of asset protection and because it's a, it's a limited industry and asset protection is what I do yeah. it's it, it's the only thing that I really focus on um, to to be able to know everything there is to know about that and that's why I want to come on I think it's great that these type of strategies everybody should be using and they're not too expensive yeah. that's fascinating okay I want to go back to and I want to dive into the trust thing a little bit first of all what is, I mean because that's a word you hear a lot in the real estate space but I know very little about so what exactly is a trust and what are you talking about when you do that and really quickly I believe it was show six uh, with 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 Neil yes um, we talked Neil, about uh, Franklin uh, Frankel Frankel oh my goodness he's gonna <laughs> kill me with Neil Frankel uh, we did we did a show on preparing for death and 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 it was all about like, hey, how do you prep yourself, you know, for when you're going to die and you you want to pass everything along? And, and we do cover this stuff a little bit. Uh, so if you're interested, you know, it's definitely a, a complimentary show to probably check out a little bit. But um, I'll let you get to it. Yeah. So trust. What is that? Yeah. So I think what you're referring to there is estate planning, and that's when you're talking about having a living trust, but probably in combination with a pour over will. Yeah. To be able to to manage your asset, and that's. Uh, I, that's uh, that's exactly what I recommend to anybody that comes to me that has a lot of real estate property because what you don't want to happen is things to get caught in probate. So yeah. it's a lot easier to have things in trust. But here are the types of trust that I'm talking about that we're using. There's two different types. There's either revocable or irrevocable trusts. And there's it, it gets somewhat complex um, regarding what the what way you want to hold the property. If if you're just using a trust for anonymity alone you're fine using just a revocable trust. And I say that you're fine using that because a revocable trust actually provides no asset protection at all. So it's only being used to be able to obscure the names from people being able to search for them. An irrevocable trust, on the other hand, actually takes the property out of your ownership and places it inside of this fictitious instrument called a trust. And the trust, again, is just a, it's just a piece of paper. There's no filing that goes with it. But a trust can have bank accounts. It can have tax numbers. Um, it can basically, you can operate a business outside of a trust. And if it's an irrevocable trust, um, that means that if anybody sues you personally, they're not able to get at uh, the, the trust assets. But nor, nor are you, though, correct? I mean, you, t- aren't you typically using like an outside trustee, somebody that you, you trust to kind of manage... Uh, said trust. It's a hard, you know, and answer a question with the, that word six times. But isn't that what we need to do? Yeah, so it gets pretty complicated about exactly um, the way to do it. But as you only a trust will only fail if the trustee is the same as the beneficiary. Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that you can get around that, and it, it depends upon your state's laws regarding the issue. But if you have an, a beneficiary that is an LLC, for example, you can own the property inside of a trust. And since the beneficiary is an LLC, then you could actually be the trustee. Or in the example is I can appoint Brandon Turner to be the trustee. And Bad inside idea. the trust <laughs> instrument, he, um, Brandon Turner can go ahead and refer control of the trust uh, corpus, whatever's inside of the trust, to my operating company. Scott Smith's operating company is actually going to do it. And so, so there's ways around the legal technicalities of 
how that gets established. And that's why it's a good idea to have an attorney look over that to make sure that you're um, going to have that structured correctly. Got oh. it. So or not really, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to. I'm getting. I'm getting a good foundation at least. So yeah, yeah, yeah. here's a couple of questions that I related to that. First of all, LLC. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw out both questions now, even though they're completely different. LLC versus trust. That's my first question: is what should I do, or what should a person do, and why? And then the second question is, how much does this cost? I, I know that's a very weird question, but like, am I looking at if I need a lawyer to help me set this up? Am I looking at a thousand dollars, or ten thousand dollars, or fifty thousand dollars? So right. So, two so I'll take them in reverse order. Right. Um, in reverse order, you're you're thinking in terms of like thousands, but probably not tens of thousands, okay. unless you have a really big organization, like really really big organization that you're doing. And by really big, I mean like fifty plus properties um, and upwards in that in that range. Okay. Um, but um, and and the to the answer to the first question is that I, it's I'm gonna have to give you almost like a non-answer in the sense that it really depends on what state you're living in. But I'll tell you that just to be able to say here's a blanket thing that if you want to say here's a jumping off point for most people is um, you can start off with looking at a series LLC if you have the ability to be able to do a series LLC, go ahead and do it. Um, if you don't, then start looking at you know multiple LLCs with. Uh, tr- holding properties uh, and trust underneath the LLCs. Um, and if you're acquiring property, um, another way to be able to, uh, to do it is to have uh, the trust instrument itself actually acquire the property. Because remember, the trust is just a piece of paper, right? And we can create that you know, in, in 15 minutes on your computer to be able to print out. And the trust can be the one that's actually negotiating all the contracts and holds all the liability for what, what could result from them. Go ahead, Josh. All right, so as I raise my hand. Me, me, me. Okay, so I, I think one of the questions that, that I recall hearing a fair amount on the site have to do with being able to purchase a property with a company or a trust, LLC, that has no credit, no business. So let's take an example. For you know, I want to go and buy rental property on 123 Main Street, Right. I have Josh, Josh's credit and I've established my credit and I want to purchase this property, right? So I go, now, do I need to write the offer in the name of the trust or can I write the offer in my name? That's the first question. The second is, um, if I write it in my name, can I close in the name of the trust or LLC or whatever it is? Um, and third, you know, if I close in my name, you know, and I've moved it over to a trust, is it now protected or was it not protected because there's the public exposure of me having previously purchased it in my name, you know, makes me open to the world? I guess those are my, my questions. Yeah, so um, starting from the beginning of, of that, um, so the trust can uh, purchase the property. Um, but, but taking a step back even from that point is that, Josh, you shouldn't be doing anything in your name. Like, that's how you get exposure. Yeah. Everything you should be doing should be in the name of another entity, as okay. is like Josh is a trustee of, of this trust. And, and yes, even the, the offer. Even the offer. Okay. It, even any, anything you do can be in the name or in the name of an LLC, even, is that you're okay. a representative of this LLC. It, okay. There's, there's um, a, an LLC uh, manager. Uh, has more probably more protections than a trustee because a trustee could still be sued uh, by mismanagement for the trust. Um, but let's just go ahead and take it so far as the assets of the if you were a manager of an LLC conducting the business. So or 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 in the in the instance of a trust, 
the trust can enter into the contract and can negotiate the contract. Then when you actually have the contract at the final stages of what you want to do, you just have, uh, you, you make it where the contract is uh, assignable. And so when it's assignable at the time that you end up signing for it, it's immediately assigned over into your holding company of whatever way you want to have, whatever holding asset that you have for it. Gotcha. And how does the loan work on that? I mean, are you signing loan docs through the trust? Will, the, will, will lenders even lend money to a trust or, or do I have to do that in my personal name? If lenders would be willing to lend me money based upon a document that I drafted up on my computer, <laughs> it would be the most amazing thing that I could ever imagine. <laughs> I'd, uh, and I'd probably get in a lot of trouble for that. Yeah, I'd say you'd be in jail, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably, probably be in jail. Pretty quick. Um, no, so you, remember we we have to separate out like what is the um, a loan really has nothing to do with the property. Yeah. The only thing that a loan has to do with the property is that the property is security for the loan. So the loan is actually going and being established by Josh's credit, okay. right? But but the bank is going to say, okay, regardless of what's ever if there's ever a default on this note, we're going to make sure that we can foreclose on um, on that piece of property. But in my experience, what I've always seen is, like, I mean, if I went to a bank and said, hey, I'm buying this property, it's in an LLC, they would say, well, you need to talk to our commercial department and put down 30% and blah, blah, blah. Like, they don't like lending on properties in LLC from what I've seen. Have you seen that in your experience as well? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's really particular to you know what, what banks you're uh, working with and whatnot and how well you can educate the, the people that are the underwriters for the bank about what type of legal structure you're doing. And the reality of the situation is, is that it can take some handholding mm-hmm. with them and, their, and your attorney to be able to negotiate with them about what you're doing is really for asset protection purposes, that you're not really trying to you know, hold a property that's really in your name. The flip side to it, what I see is that people will have property in their own name and they don't want to transfer it into an LLC because they're really afraid of what's called a do-on sale, yeah. right? Um, me and my network of, of attorneys that I collaborate with on asset protection work, I, we've never seen a due on sale clause get enforced inside of recent history uh, unless the note wasn't performing. Yep. So as long as not performing, a lot of times the banks just say, hey, listen, it's, a, it's still a good investment. The asset class is still strong. We don't have to, you know, the whole secondary market for them is still looking good and they're not losing money. So why would they rock the boat? Yeah. Um, so as far as practical terms go, um, By the way, there's a monster. I mean, th- th- this topic, what yeah. you're talking about, do on sale clause, has led to some epic, epic debates on the site. And it's interesting to hear a, an attorney say what you just said, which, and you're not saying go ahead and, you know, violate some agreement. You're just saying, you know, you've never seen it happen. I've uh, never seen it happen. And I, yeah. and, and, you know, like, I'm not advising anybody to break their contracts or to do anything uh, right. like that. But, when you sit down with your attorney, like think about the practicalities of the situation as much as you're thinking about what is the the actual you know black letter law. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. My, Go ahead. And that brings up a good point too: is even if you are violating a do on sale clause, and this just I mean we could do a whole show on just that, but in 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 all my like research and what I've done. It's not breaking the law anyway. It's not necessarily right. a legal thing, right? It's a right. it's a contractual thing, which I guess you could then right. say down the line that there's legal implications. But there's no law that says you can't break a do on sale clause. It's a clause. It's just a contract between the two contracts. parties. Yeah. So right. like in my, I mean, again, I'm not giving advice on what people should do, but like I had them in my personal name, and then I transferred my properties into an LLC. That probably technically violated a do on sale clause. 
yet I did it anyway with the assumption that I've never heard of somebody getting called their note due. And that's a risk that I'm okay taking. If one of the banks decided to be a jerk and pull it on me, that's why I only buy incredible deals. So worst case scenario, I buy incredible real estate deals to give me exit pl- strategies in case the the one in a million shot happened where they're going to get mad at me for transferring into an LLC. So, yeah. and, and Brandon, I think your approach is actually the, the proper approach that investors should be taking. The investor should be, should be thinking about how can I make the most amount of money possible and then hiring out other people that are experts to handle their insurance and to handle the way that they're going to hold and manage the technical, legal aspects of what they're doing. Because if you're good at making money, why in the world are you racking your brain trying to figure out all the other minutia of details that go on in these kinds of things? And you know, yeah. that brings up, I mean, something I hear all the time. People use, and I want to know your thoughts on this. People use the LLC question as a, I don't know what you call it, like the psychological blockage from them actually to get started. Oh, they started won't even start. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. people are like, yeah, I've been wanting to invest in real estate for years, but I don't know what to do about an LLC. Like that's always where they stop. And I'm like, but remember those are the like, people, Brandon, who weren't going to start in the first place. Because I agree. They, they didn't have the, a lot of them don't have the money to put down. A lot of them, you know, are trying to start on the cheap and, and you need money and, to invest in real estate. What? You need, what? Mo- you need money. What? what? My name is Josh Dork and I got a course for you for $997. <laughs> you buy that course, but you need no money to get da- what? <laughs> you, 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 you can do it, but it's, it's not, it's not easy. It's low money is more reliable, but you know, whatever. Okay. Anyway, moving, moving on. <laughs> all right. Hey, all right, good. So I, did I cut you off or no, I, no, 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 yeah, no, he was going to answer so. one last, the one last piece here yeah, tell us before we went going yeah. is that, um, a lot of times you won't end up wrapping up, um, what's going on with the, um, the do on sale clause, um, also, is, is very important, but there's also an issue what happens with insurance, whether it's personal insurance or commercial insurance, and there's different pricing that can happen with that. However, if what you do is, is you establish uh, a trust that's called the Joshua Dorkin Trust, and you move your property into that trust, now all of a sudden an insurance company as well as a title company and the bank all think you've only done something for asset protection that you actually haven't made a sale. So it's a way that you can have some and it, you can have some of the asset protection elements without actually triggering some of those uh, contractual issues as well as the insurance issues depending upon how they're structured and it gets very technical so gotcha. with exactly yeah, and, we're yeah. not gonna ask we're not gonna ask no but I've, I've heard that the like I, and again again it's more technical than i'm sure we can go into but that trusts are sec- like Somebody, at least I mentioned one time, I read it in a book that trusts do not violate the due on sale clause typically uh, because they're protected by U.S. law that says that a bank can't foreclose on somebody who transfers it into a trust. Right. And I believe just shooting from the hip over here, I, I think that applies to like one to four unit properties. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. By, by the way, if you're, if you're trying to establish an entity for the purpose of hiding from potential folks who might want to sue you, I'm assuming naming it the Josh Dorkin trust is a bad idea. Well, you wouldn't get the anonymity with that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm just, uh, I'm just checking because you know, like you wouldn't get the anonymity. You know, hey, I want to. Hi- I I don't want you know these people who want to litigate against me to 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 find it. So I'm going to name mine. You know, the Brandon <laughs> Turner Trust, the Heather Turner Trust. You know, like. <clears throat> You probably want to be a little more anonymous in, in you can, your naming. You want to be a little more anonymous. But the, the great thing about it is once you have the property, say, like in a land trust, yeah. uh, what's happening is that um, if you own like an apartment building, apartment building um, and you wanted to uh, sell out uh, you know, particular shares of that apartment building, 
that would end up happening because you want to diversify your portfolio a little bit more. Um, those are the other ways that really make sense to be able to hold the property inside of a trust and and still be able to have some of the the management that would go on with that. Boy, so that, there's that's right. like a whole topic, man. I mean, I, uh, that's that's a show in itself right there. Yeah, it, and it's definitely a, a whole another hour on, on what you can do with some types of creative trust instruments for uh, for investors. Yeah, nice. Uh, talk talk about family office. I think that was the last thing on your list of uh, things. What, what is a family office? I've got an office in my basement. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if your family office is doing the same thing that my family office does, but the uh, but my family office is the service that you can use for attorneys to be able to review all your paperwork for you. So okay. even if you have all of your LLCs and Brandon has his six LLCs that he has. I would bet dollars to donuts that unless he has a an attorney reviewing all that paperwork, that I could find a defect in there somewhere. <laughs> Probably something that he hasn't has some I he hasn't dotted or T he hasn't crossed, and what he's doing. So um, one of the things I always tell people, I said, you know, it's part of your attorney insurance. It's part of your asset protection plan that you should be looking at saying, like, what does it cost for me to make sure that I'm solid whenever uh, a lawsuit arises? Because once you get even threatened to get sued, it's already too late. Because you you get you can get frozen inside of being able to transfer assets around by what's known as a, a fraudulent transfers act that can look back up to two years from well, the time that the lawsuit gets filed or even threatened to get filed um, to be able to claw back what's called claw back where the court will actually annul the sale and, and pull the property back um, from whoever you uh, sold it to so so what's the, the family office ends up coming to say like listen. Set up your LLCs, get all your structure right, but don't just stop there. Because what if you spend all your money to be able to like soup up your car, it doesn't really make sense unless you have enough money to be able to keep putting gas in it so you can keep using it. Uh, your, all your structure and business entities can almost become worthless unless you're uh, paying the money to have somebody that knows what they're doing uh, to be able to review it properly. Okay, so family office literally just means a, a, a law firm to... to Review stuff at some periodic basis. Is that what it is? Right, exactly. And it's called a family office because it's what's it's the type of law firm that usually only the really wealthy could afford. The people that had the five, ten million plus in assets would be able to spend the money to protect their assets with the law firm. So it's part of. um, But I I don't think that that's necessary. My research and, and my work. I think shows that the, there's a way that the average investor who only maybe has a few properties uh, can be able to afford uh, these same types of protections that you know that were usually used to be only exclusive to the really wealthy, who are also now really pissed off at bigger pockets because we just you know cut the rug out from under <laughs> all that money that they've been spending to get all that information. So awesome! Absolutely, yeah. Nice, nice. Um, okay, cool. So, and and I think there was one more thing Brandon had, uh, uh, you know, yeah. shot me a note here that we we forgot to cover, which was uh, two member LLCs. Yeah. So, the two member LLCs. What can happen is that if you have, um, um, particularly in the state of Texas, if you have a, an LLC that you establish and that you're actually the sole member of, um, that can look like you actually try to create a business entity, but it's really just you. Right? I mean, there's nobody else there. So um, the way that we get around that issue from the court looking at that and saying, ah, it's really just Brandon, it's not really you know Brandon Turner LLC that's really conducting this thing, is to go ahead and throw in another uh, member. You can throw in a member and say, you know, I really want to give, uh, Josh has been really great to me this year, I'm going to give him 1% of my company, um, but I'm not going to allow him to get access to any of the distributions, he can't vote. 
Um, he can't sell his interest. So it's a really crappy <laughs> gift. But Cheap bastard. <laughs> But it works out well for him for uh, being able to make sure that the court is going to look at that LLC now, uh, appropriately. Now, one thing that does do, though, is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you have a single member LLC, it's just you, taxes are passed through, which means you don't have to file business tax returns. If you add a second member, now you got to file business tax returns. So taxes become more expensive. Do you know if that's, does that sound right? Yeah, I, that, that does sound right. And, and that can be the case. Uh, but the question really becomes is, um, you know, that's like it's one of those things you have to balance between yep. what are your costs and taxes, and then uh, what is your uh, what can you lose if you if you get a lawsuit against you? And yeah. remember, like these lawsuits come up not because you really did anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, you, I've seen really great people that didn't do anything that I thought was wrong get huge judgments against them. And when you're talking about you know an average house here in Austin costs four hundred five hundred thousand, as in, like an investor, you're talking about what is that a hundred thousand dollars in equity right off the bat. That's enough for me to, or any other litigator that works out in the field to have a good enough reason to file a lawsuit because there's enough money there uh, to be able to get at, and depending on how many other properties are there. So You're a shark, man! Look at you yeah. trying to, trying <laughs> no, to like, pick I, people I'm apart. <laughs> I'm the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah. trying to make sure that uh, these guys uh, don't don't have uh, any uh, leg to stand on when they come looking at the bigger pockets investors. Nice. <laughs> So, okay, so just to add on to that, the reason I brought that up is, and the reason that I know about the single member versus multi member tax issue is an issue I had like two years ago. And I might have mentioned this on an earlier show, but uh, when I file, so back five years ago or something like that, I formed an LLC with some partners of mine. Like we were going to buy a property together. And th- so we formed it. We were all excited because that's what you do when you, you know, went on legal Zoom or whatever and formed it. And then we just didn't do anything with it. I mean, we just ignored it basically. And I never transferred a property into it. I didn't, I just kind of forgot about it. I didn't even touch it. So anyway, a few years later, we get a bill from the IRS for $10,000 for back payments on that. Because even if you don't have any business income or even if you don't even touch your LLC, you have to still file a business tax return if there's two members in it. That's not your spouse. And so we had a $10,000 bill from the IRS for pa- for back penalties. Anyway, I got it waived. Like I, you know, me and I used Amanda Hahn and she like worked me kind of through the process of getting that fixed up. But that was a stressful time. So anyway, I guess my point is, is if you're going to do the LLC thing and the asset protection thing, which you definitely should, don't forget about the tax side of it easy either. You know, consult with a CPI and what the what it means about all this stuff. So, anyway, oh, yeah. that's my yeah. quick tip. So, so I was going to say that's and that kind of leads into like a point that I wasn't planning on discussing, but but I get a lot in bigger pockets when people are starting off to say like who who do I need as part of my team? And there's three people you need is um, you you need somebody that does your insurance, um, and you need a, a CPA that's going to be able to tell you. Um, what tax implications are going to look like, and you need an attorney to be able to make sure your documents are going to be the way they, they need to go. Because the, the average investor will go onto LegalZoom and do exactly what you did. Um, and you, I think it sounds like you were fortunate enough to know somebody that could help you get out of that situation. Um, but in the reality for most people, if they don't have that kind of network of, um, of uh, people that have own favors, they're talking about paying thousands of dollars to attorney, at least, yep. I would say at least like three to $5,000 to be able to, you know, get out of uh, something like that with the IRS. And the IRS yep. is not forgiving yep. yeah. on, on a lot of these issues, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's, uh, I, I had uh, a quick uh, five takeaway items uh, that oh, I want awesome. to be able to tell everybody. Love it. Um, so the uh, takeaway item number one is that if you're not insured, get insured. Protect your property if, uh, if there's going to be a flood or fire, whatever's going on there. There's too much money that you have invested to try to skimp on having insurance. 
Action number two is to say, for, for most investors, uh, go ahead and set up at, at least uh, three LLCs or, or start using an LLC, series LLC structure. You should be having one company that's going to hold your flips, one company that's going to be holding your buy and holds, and one operating company that you're going to be used to enter into contracts, to purchase property, collect rents, et cetera. That's going to be your operating company is the one that's actually performing all the business. The holding companies don't do anything besides just hold the assets. And we separate those out for IRS tax Interesting. reasons. Real quick on that one while you're on there, because this, again, I'm picking your brain because you're here. So we did that. We have an operating, like an LLC. One of ours is just for operating. Yet I assume now that, I mean, my plan was to separate everything separate bank accounts for every LLC, separate, you know, like when the rent comes in, I have to go to that bank and drop off the rent there. Is that not the case? Can I actually still use that one LLC for everything and just distribute? um, If you have any of the contracts that are coming in to the operating company, the way you can also end up doing is setting up different um, DBAs or assumed names for that one operating company that's an LLC. So you can have checks coming in all uh, all underneath different names, but for um, who's actually uh, holding uh, revenue uh, from the property, you don't want any type of privity established between an asset holding company and somebody that uh, is paying money uh, to you. So there's... Um, so you want you want uh, one face to your company, and you don't actually want anybody to know who your other LL, asset holding LLCs are at yeah. all. Like none, that should be not having anything inside of the public sphere because that's the last thing that you want somebody to be able to find out that they could try to collect against. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Anyways, right, that's that great. Was, so that's that number was two. three, right? Or that, two? Was, that was two, right? Yeah, that was number two. So number three um, is that uh, you should never have any assets uh, in your name unless they're statutorily protected, like Texas has homestead protections, which makes Texas uh, one of the best states to be able to do asset protection in. And in fact, you can have a company in Texas, an LLC in Texas that can own property uh, anywhere uh, in the United States. And it's a, like a, it, Texas is actually has like a, a, a hundred, multiple hundred year tradition of this. And in fact, it's an old saying that so-and-so went off to Texas because our debtor um, laws and our, our consumer protection laws are some of the strongest in the United States. Do you but, have to have physical residence in Texas in order to open a Texas uh, company? To, to open up a Texas LLC, you don't have to be a resident of Texas. Okay, okay. Um, so you'll have to have a, a Texas address and stuff like that. But uh, us attorneys have already figured out all the ways that all the, the checklist of things that you need to be able to have there to be able to be in compliance. Yeah. Um, but remember that we're, we're, we don't have any assets in our name because when we have assets in our name, it increases our exposure. And that wealthy people um, don't have assets. They only control properties and get the benefit of the properties. Yeah. So when we get to number four is the family office is that you um, that if anything is is not being properly maintained inside of your corporate paperwork, it makes your asset protection plan um, vulnerable to having an aggressive litigator come at come at it and be able to dissolve your corporate structure. Um, so we should be thinking about the money that we're paying out to be able to maintain our structure. It's kind of like maintenance on a house. You would never think that you could build a house once and that it'd be good for forever. So there's always additional updates that you need to do and in, in um, we all know every year Congress tries to act, even though they've had a hard time recently with that, but they're to pass laws that are always changing and that you would need to be able to, to keep What, up. we have to work together to pass laws? What? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, why can't we all just be friends? <laughs> um, so a, a number five is a takeaway when we talk about looking at cost. The, the cost of a, a, a good uh, asset protection plan is approximately, in my experience, has been about the half the cost of the attorney's fees alone 
in a single lawsuit. So apart from saying that you had a judgment against you or anything like that, we're talking about even if you were to go get sued and win, the cost of that is half the amount to be able to have an asset protection plan as it would be the cost of having a lawsuit. So you can look at having as a 50% savings right off the bat by go ahead and being proactive about this. Um, and, and remember that, that real estate is the, is the hottest litigated industry. And it really shouldn't be an issue of uh, when you're going to get sued. I mean, it shouldn't be an issue of if you're going to get sued. It's really just a matter of when. And that being a nice and an honest person uh, doesn't protect you from lawsuits. It's not a legal defense. Hey, Scott, how do I go about finding a guy like you? I mean, obviously, we know you're open and available, you, you know, yada, yada. You know, sure, you sure, guys plug, hit plug, up Scott. Yeah. He's the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, hey, you know, I'm in Maine and I want a guy who's in my area. How do I find a good attorney who knows his stuff like you, Cole, in this stuff, in this field, yeah, you know, the asset the, protection? It's kind of the same question of asking, like, do you have a good doctor, right? If you ever ask somebody if they know a good doctor, they always say, oh, no, no, my doctor is the best because nobody wants to believe they have a crappy doctor. <laughs> it's the same thing that happens with attorneys, right? If you ask your buddy, do you have a good attorney? Well, hell yeah, I have the best attorney yep. that end up happening here. Um, and it's also the same type of thing about saying, like, how do you know if a certain doctor is good? Yeah. Well, we don't really, as, as I'm not a doctor, I don't really know the criteria of what makes a good doctor, and, and really know how to judge like the quality of work they do. So I would say that if you're really looking, if you're looking for somebody that's in your area, which isn't necessary, that you don't have to have somebody in your area. So if you can find somebody that you like um, that's not in your area, you can still use them uh, potentially. They can't practice law in your state, but there's, there's other ways around that. But uh, I would go take out your smartest attorney friends for a really nice dinner and have them do some work for you to vet some people uh, on your behalf. And perhaps you can skate out of there for the, the price of uh, a nice steak and a great bottle of wine. There you go. There you go. Always good, good advice. advice. Good yeah. advice. I, awesome. I, have, I have one more question before we uh, head of out of here. Of course you do. I know, I do. Um, me, 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 This is not me. This is not me. So I'm a brand new investor. I've never started investing in real estate yet. Does any of this matter to me? Like, why, yeah. why should I care? I don't even have a single property yet, you know, other than my own house. Why should I care? Yeah, so if you own nothing, then, um, and you own nothing and you have no money and you're trying to get started, then you don't really have any assets to protect. Mm-hmm. But, so, but say, if you're really anybody else that owns any property at all, uh, whether it's a car, uh, a home, or anything, that means you have exposure, uh, whenever you're entering into any type of business arrangement. And, and, and that's really just what real estate boils down to is just you're, now you're operating your own company. And yep. you have all the exposures that anybody that starts a company would have. And no, no good company starts without having some type of structure in place. Makes sense. Great. Makes sense. I love Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Well, uh, I, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I'm probably going to have to rewind this and listen a couple times myself yeah. and, and, uh, uh, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this. We, we haven't done a ton of shows like this and, 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 uh, I, I do think they're extremely valuable. And, and, uh, uh, before we head out of here, I think we need to, you know, hit you around. First of all, you're in, you're doing real estate yourself as well, right? You're focusing on commercial. Is, is, yeah, right? I, I do uh, some work with, uh, some commercial real estate, residential real estate and, and doing some notes. Uh, my, my focus, uh, recently has been, on, on developing uh, these type of cutting-edge strategies that end up happening with asset protection and less on the investment side, um, apart from you know, structuring uh, a lot of the bigger development deals um, that come around uh, across my plate. Cool. Gotcha. 
All right. Well, right. why don't we get to this Famous Four? Famous Four. All right. These are the questions we ask everyone. And we're skipping the fire round today because I didn't want to drill you with a whole bunch more questions because I already asked you like a bunch of specific legal questions. So we're just going to go right to the Famous Four. So you got to ask your questions, but people on the side... People didn't get, get to ask theirs. Their, yeah. Wow. <laughs> look at you. All greedy and stuff, man. Well, I, my, th- my thinking was, one, like... Every question is going to be like, it depends like on a yeah. lot of those little things. Because right? we don't know anything about these people, what they're talking about. They're all short questions. So anyway, that's why. All right, moving on. Famous <laughs> one. Giving well me a played. hard time. Thanks. You know. uh, what is your favorite real estate book? Um, my favorite real estate book um, would actually, it probably have to be the one I started with was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I know that's really cliche, but <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was actually in part and parcel of that. He actually made this game called The Rat Race. They ended up coming about where it was actually a board game that would teach you about um, it's the a very ways expensive board game too. Wasn't very, it? very he's very proud of that board game. Probably <laughs> Isaki is for a piece of cardboard and a couple of cutouts because uh, it, it in uh, in that sense it talks uh, or that board game shows a lot about saying that you know when you're younger you can start taking a lot more risk with capital gain issues to build up your stack of money so you might be able to retire early and live the dream life. Um, and, and kind of coaching about saying, well, does it really make sense that you would only look at you know, minimal cash flow properties if it takes you eight years to develop the capital to buy one property? And kind of just retooling the way that you approach uh, what your strategy is depending on where you are in your life. Yeah, Great. right on. Right on. What book. about uh, business books? What's your favorite business book? Yeah, so um, the, I, one of my favorite business books of all time that I always go back to reading is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which I'm sure is also a book that a lot of people reference in here. And I, the reason I like it is because I think it distills down a lot of principles that I've read in other books. So recently I've been applying the, um, the principle of the one thing. Yep. Um, in my personal life, in my health, and in my business, I've noticed that um, it's really made so much of an impact where I'm just being able to have that single focus, that Steve Jobs-esque kind of obsession of making sure that your one thing that day uh, is prepared for, done correctly. And by doing that one thing, everything else in your life be, either becomes easier or unnecessary. Love there it. You go. Yeah, there I love it. Yeah, love Brandon doesn't shut up about that one I know. either. Yeah, it's actually, look, right. It's like sitting like within arm's reach of me. That's how I like this book. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. All right, hobbies. What do you do for fun, man? Yeah, so I live here in Austin. So I'm a, I rock climb. I run around the lake. I do some boating uh, that's around nice. here. And um, I uh, actually have uh, been doing a lot of boxing recently, which has been a lot of fun. Really? Okay. So, uh, oh. Yeah, we, we suit up with the headgear and stuff. So my brain still stays intact. I don't and, take you a boxer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, Brandon, whenever too somebody... Pretty. Is that what you're saying, Josh? I'm just too <laughs> pretty. To saying, not, well, you would never hit a guy with glasses. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me and Scott are going to fight at the next Bigger Pockets yeah, the conference. Next, yep. you know, meet up, Brandon's going to watch you. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to fight. It's going to be good. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, my last question for you. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Yeah, so I think, I think what, really, what really happens here and what this question really delves down to is um, much more of a personal question. So... Um, I think what actually is separating out the successful people from the unsuccessful people is the ones that really know how to develop systems with themselves that they can be successful with. So for me, for example, I have to, um, I tried to work, you know, a traditional uh, eight, nine hour block out of the day and segment all of that at one time. And I realized that I was just wasting a lot of my time during the day on Facebook or whatever, just something to distract myself. So um, I was like, okay, well, that doesn't work for me. So what works for me is to say, 
do I know myself well enough to say that every three hours I need to go do some form of exercise? And so I think when you're talking about what makes a successful person or a successful real estate investor is to know, know yourself well enough to know what type of business you can run and be successful at. And don't try to be Brandon Turner. Don't try to be Joshua Dorkin. Try to be you and then running your type of business. That's nice. great. Great advice. Nice. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I was, um, I know me, I'm like an addictive personality in, in pretty much everything that I do, right? I go, I go uh, balls to the wall, so to speak. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I used to, you know, I like playing games. I like playing like video games. And, and I used to have all these video games on my cell phone. And what I discovered was, and it took a long time to figure this out. I discovered I was spe- like, I mean, I'm, I'm in the bathroom on this game. I'm in bed on this game. I'm at work in between working on this game. You know, I'm constantly doing it. I'm like, what am I doing? Like if I, if I take this game off my phone, I'm going to save hours and hours and hours a week, you know, and I'm going to be more productive. I'm going to be more successful. And you know what? I love the game, but at the end of the day, oh my God, this is such a distraction. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Find what in you um, helps you get to where you need to be. Get rid of the things that, that distract you and, and, and kind of cause, cause issue and, and just, you know, go forward. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody can be, nobody can be a machine, right? If I offered you $20 million to work 24 hours a day for the next six months, it doesn't matter. You, could, you yeah. couldn't do that. And no matter what I was offering you as a carrot to be able to change your behavior. So you really have to dial it back to say, you know, all right, so I, my video game is a waste of time. It's distracting me. So what is it that I can replace um, that ish or what's really going on with me that, I, that I'm using this video game to kind of use as a crutch? Right. You know, the same way some people use smoking or eating snacks or chewing gum or something like that. I don't have a problem, man. <laughs> yeah. You're the first, the first step in the process. Josh. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, man. Scott, it's it's been a pleasure, man. Really fascinating. I, I thought most lawyers were jerks. You're not that <laughs> jerky, but you know. Um no, I'm just kidding. It, absolute pleasure. Uh, where can people find out about you? I, I know you've got a website. How to how do we get in touch? Yeah, so um, I offer myself up, you know, to everybody here uh, personally. Just go ahead, give me a call. My number is five one two seven five seven three nine nine four. Or you Ring. Can send- <laughs> the phone yeah. just started blowing up. By the way, <laughs> yeah, let it, let it blow up here. I have um, I have all kinds of. Uh, you'll likely get my voicemail, but I always return calls um, the same day, or if not the latest, it's going to be the next day, and we can set up a time to talk and be able to uh, look at exactly you know what kind of things of anything you're going to need. Um, or you can always shoot me an email um, at scott, S-C-O-T-T, at royallegalsolutions.com. And his royal hey, or you can find me on Bigger Pockets. I usually try to post up a lot into the forums and whatnot, and it always has my contact information underneath everything that I post as a pro member. So everybody should sign up for a uh, pro account Woo-hoo. to uh, to have access to that. Nice. Well, well done. A promo well done. works both ways, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> no, you, you do realize your 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 24-hour response rate is going to change after today. So <laughs> it may take him two or three, guys. It yeah. may take him two or three. There's going to be lots of calls. Well, Scott, thank you so, so much, man. We Again, we, we really appreciate it, and it's it's uh, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to it, guys. If there's anything I can help out with in the future with uh, – anybody out here or to come back and um, talk more about any of these topics, I'm always available and happy to uh, do the research on the back end to be able to help out uh, whatever we can do uh, for the BP members. Love it. Great. Great. Good stuff. 
Thanks, hey, Scott. Thanks, Scott. All right, guys, that was Scott Smith, the man, the myth, the guy who's going to save your assets. Scott Smith. Thanks again. Uh, we, we really do appreciate it. Otherwise, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully, uh, you guys are loving the content that we're bringing you. Hopefully, you're getting a lot of value out of it. And uh, eh, if you know, well, eh, yeah, is your brain still bleeding? You still hurting? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, but uh, thanks, guys, for for being our listeners. If you're not a part of our world, our community, uh, jump in, join BiggerPockets.com today. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Actually, the greatest thing since a slice of pizza. It is good. It is yummy. It is delicious. I don't know, but it's, it's, it is good. Yeah, yeah. Join up. Join up. Get some pizza right now. See ya. Do it. Do it. All right, guys. It's been a pleasure. Check us out on biggerpockets.com. Check us out on Facebook. Um, jump in, get involved, and uh, make moves. And uh, we want to thank you and, and uh, wish you a good week till the next show. We'll see you at 110. I'm Josh Dorkin. Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.